You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast. Welcome to the Curated by Podcast. Uh, my name is Martin, and I'm here together with my colleague Rick. And today we'll be talking to the brains behind the legendary critical music. Uh, what started out in 2002 as a hobby has grown into a full-time endeavor and a DJ career. Uh, Critical is now considered one of the most boundary-pushing labels uh, out there. And we are, of course, talking about none other than Kazra. Welcome, Kazra. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Yeah. Very good having you here, man. Cool, um, cool. Yeah, before we, can, uh, we go into death, uh, we would first uh, like to start by asking you 10 quick-fire questions, uh, which you have to answer with the first thing that pops up in your mind. Okay. Um, feel free to elaborate, uh, but answer as quickly as you can. Okay. Yeah, cool. you're ready? I think so. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Uh, what's the best drum and bass label of all time? Virus. Um, That's the best one that came to my head. <laughs> uh, and why? Uh, probably because I'm DJing with Ed Rush on Saturday. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's, you know, I could argue it is arguably the best drum bass label of all time. Yeah, it's definitely fundamental to what drum yeah. and bass is right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what has been the biggest challenge during 20 years of critical music? Um, the circumnavigating the challenges of formats and the ever-changing landscape of selling music. Yeah. Because you started out in vinyl, right? Yeah, because we're 20 years old, we started off in vinyl. Yeah. And that was the only way you did it. And then like five years later, it was like, oh, downloads. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, most people were like, oh, I don't know if this is going to catch on. And it was like, whoa, it's really cool. On. And then yeah. it was like, oh, there's this thing called streaming. Oh, that will never catch on. Oh my God, <laughs> it's really cool. On. And then, um, and then we had like a resurgence of vinyl, which was... You know, so it's like we got to press more records, and then blah, 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 and then it was less, and then it's very up and down, and then you had COVID, and that's really affected supply chains and pressing things, and then you have the environmental impact and the and the ethical side of pressing vinyl. So it's um, so yeah, it's um, it's been a roller coaster. Yeah, I suppose it's also that you know, as much as this is very much a labour of love, it becomes been doing it so long, it's become a business. And we have staff and we have to look after people. We have artists and we have to fulfill obligations to. So it does change. It doesn't, it's not just me sitting there signing two tunes and putting them out on vinyl and then paying someone the money if we make any money. It's like people's livelihoods at stake. Yeah. Including my how own. Many people, how many people work for Critical Music right now? There's four of us in total. Okay. Well, there's three of us in total and then there's like freelance people who work with us. So... The core is like three. Yeah. Or four. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, who or what is your biggest musical inspiration outside of drum and bass? Probably the most important musical influence on me was probably Nirvana because it was the first. I remember the first time I heard them. I remember the way it kind of blew my, completely blew my head. I remember what I was doing. I remember where I was. I remember what I was listening to it on. And I was like, wow, this is really exciting. And I'd never felt that way before. Um, and kind of started hunting out the music, started buying the music. And then 
one of the things that Nirvana was really amazing for was their kind of support of other bands and underground music. And obviously, this was before. This is very much pre-internet. So you would be, you know, you'd look at, uh, you'd read a, 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 an article about the band and then you they'd mention someone and then you go down a rabbit hole of like trying to buy that music or, or go and see them play or whatever and they just kind of blew my mind wide open to like this whole because even though they were they were arguably at that point or they were put well on their way to becoming the biggest band on the planet which is kind of crazy to think about when you listen to their music compared to what music is now um but they were like a real gateway drug to like this whole alternative side and then I've kind of regaled this story many times, so I'll kind of keep it as short as I can. But mm-hmm. when I was at school, I was, me and loads of friends were into like guitar bands like Nirvana and Sonic Youth and things like that. And then I had a load of other friends who were into rave music because the nineties was pretty amazing for music. Um, new scenes and exciting things happening. And I kind of always discredited rave music as just being like, you're playing an instrument, you're just like, you want a computer? What the, you know, what's that? Um, but as the time went on and I, I would hang out with those friends just as much as my guitar music friends, I would see that there was a lot of similarities, which is people making music in the, in kind of quite rudimentary forms sometimes, you know, in their houses, they press up records in a very DIY way and they put them out into the world. And that was really inspiring to me. DIY, the DIY ethic is really like, that's what drum bass is. Yeah. Doesn't matter where it's vinyl, digital putting on a show you know you guys are DIY you're doing it you're doing it yourself you don't you know you're not funded by some big corporation you're like we really love this thing we're gonna do it mm-hmm. and that's that's the spirit that I really um really kind of took on and kind of ran with so that's probably why yeah. it's my biggest biggest influence nice um what's the oddest thing that has ever happened during a critical music event um <laughs> it's been like stuff that you don't want to happen like people getting hurt and stuff like that by mistake mm. and shit like that but odd stuff nothing that no, i can't think of anything that odd which is very unexciting really i'll have to we can come back to it later i wish there was something maybe something will yeah. come to me but for now yeah. i can't think of anything okay yeah um what has been the biggest fuck up during your career i, I was given a subfocus demo cd and i just didn't like it but i don't know if i'd have liked it anyway I don't know if that's a fuck up. It's quite funny though, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I've done that a few times that I've had like things given to me and I've been like, oh, it's okay. And then they've gone on to be massive. So maybe that, maybe, I don't know, I've been pretty lucky. I don't think I've messed anything up that badly yet. Yet. <laughs> Emphasis on yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know, right? You never know. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, that's that's nice. Um, w- what's the role that you enjoy most? Is it Kazra the label boss, Kazra the DJ, or Kazra the producer? Um, producing I enjoy the least because I don't think I'm very good at it and I really struggle with making music even though I try and do it as much as I can. DJing when it's that, when it all comes together and it's like the crowd's energies the same as yours and you're playing the music you love and it's you're getting the, the reaction that you want and it's a great sound system and you're DJing with your friends and even your friends are, you know your partner might be there it's just the best thing in the world absolutely amazing um 
And being a label owner, I really, it's, it's quite difficult. They're kind of all, I would say production's the bottom one. And then DJing and being a label owner are kind of equal because label okay. owner is, is kind of, <laughs> it's very, it's, the idea of it is very boring compared to a, being a DJ, but I quite like sitting at my laptop and making things happen and talking to the artists and A&R records. And, and it's not that I quite like it. I absolutely love it because it's what I do. Mm. I'd say those two are joint first, which is a cop out, but yeah, it is what it is. First, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you'd have to choose mm -hmm. um, between releasing an Ivalab release or a Calibre release, who would you choose? Would it be drum and bass? No, whatever. Whatever. They want to re release. Uh, They're I'm, both. I'm, 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 I would say an Ivy Lab record because it'd be nice to have them back. <laughs> or, All and, when it's, <laughs> and when it's drum and bass, would you choose Ivy Lab or Caliber? Ivy Lab. Yeah? Yeah, Why? there's not enough. There's not enough Ivy Lab drum and bass. There's, I think. I think even Caliber would. I think even Dom would admit there's enough Caliber drum and bass in the world. <laughs> there's always room That's for more. There's always room yeah, for more. But like, definitely. you know what I mean. There's a lot of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fair. According <laughs> to you, who's the biggest talent in drum and bass at the moment? Biggest talent. Uh, personally, probably. Oh, that's a different question. Who am I playing the most tunes by? I'm going to say a new producer because I think it's fair because I don't want to single anyone out who, who I've worked with for years and then they'll feel, they'll feel bad. Other people will feel bad. There's a kid that we started working with called Vistler. He's from the UK and all the stuff he's sending me is absolutely amazing. Nice. Has really he ever had any releases already, or did you he's just got one, scout him? I think he's got one tune on Spotify at the moment, but, nice. but he's, got, he's got an EP coming out with this in January. That's a good spot, Pan. Yeah, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best rave you've ever visited? Ooh, um, I remember one fabric night we did. We did hosted room two. And room one was Pearson Sound, who is now Ramadan Man. No, P Ramadan Man. Who's now Pearson Pearson Sound. Yeah. Sorry, get it the right way around. And it was his Fabric CD launch. We were in room two, and room three was Exit. And the Exit room, George had just, George and Ash had just, uh, and Strats had just done Marker. And it was like strategy, uh, skeptical, Dove Physics. Uh, D Bridge, maybe Jubei, I'm not sure. Other people like that. Then Room One was like Pearson Sound, Joy Orbison, Julio Bashmore. Uh. And then our, and our room was like, I think it was the night it was me, Alex Perez back to back, Jubei, was that Alex Perez back to back, Sabre, Face, Eni. It break. It, the, that lineup was just bananas across all three rooms. And I just remember walking, like, it still blew my mind that we were able to do fabric at that point, even though I think we'd done like five or six of them by that, by up to that date. But then just walking around the club and every room was just going crazy. It was like, it was just, it was just the atmosphere was insane. And then like, they had like a thousand people over capacity across the night, you know? <laughs> so it was just like the whole place was just like heaving. Everyone was trying to get in. I always remember that one as being really special. Sounds sick. 
It was amazing. It was really. Where amazing. was this? It was. I'll tell you. Um, I think it was. You know, I'm I'm going to do this thing right. I'm going to Google it, and then it will be different to what I remembered it was. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the piss and so on. So, but in in the meantime, what was the it best was, rave? It was it was autonomic in room three. It wasn't the Georgia Strats one, but it was us in room two. It was dive back to back break me, Spectrosol, Scientific, Total Science, Jubay, Octane and Art and Stray. And then room one was Pearson Sound, Jorbson, Mala back to back pinch. That was insane. <laughs> Julio Bashmore, Ben UFO, Pangea, and Midland. And then it was Debridge and instrumental in room two. But I do remember Darren playing Marco and it going absolutely insane. Amazing, amazing night. Wow. And that That's was 2000, Jesus, 2011. 11 years ago already, almost 12. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, isn't it? Isn't that wild? Yeah, it was 18, 18th of March, 2011. It feels like that was yesterday. Crazy. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who have you always wanted to, uh, re- uh, to do a release by on your label? So what's one artist that you still want to release on Critical Music? Skeptical. Okay. Skeptical is probably my is pretty pretty much my favourite drum bass modern definitely my favourite modern drum bass producer who hasn't released any original music on a label. Apart from no, that, he did he did a collaboration with Dub Physics which came out which would have been like two thousand and ten maybe. Okay, um, yeah. But yeah, we haven't we haven't had an original Skeptical record. And not many, in the not many people, he's done a remix for us. Okay. Um, but original music, unfortunately not. Oh, but I just, I just love his music. I think it's amazing. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite producers at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that brings us to 10. Cosmo, uh, thanks for your answers. Um, this podcast is different compared to the previous 10 ones. Um, we talked about uh, past, present and future, but this one will be about 20 years of critical music or critical recordings what is it musical recordings or both it's it was called critical recordings at first but it's critical music critical music um mm. so we've asked you to select uh, 18 uh, essential critical music tracks of the past 20 years and we're going to mm-hmm. discuss and you're going to tell us about how things evolved how you uh, got into uh, and meet the artists that have uh, uh, produced the tracks and you left two tracks for us to decide what we like best of critical so um, uh, each uh, track we will start with uh, 10 to 15 seconds of, um, we hear the track and then we're gonna discuss the track so this is the first one This was DeFi, Five Faces. Do I pronounce that the right way? Yeah. DeFi? Uh, yeah, DeFi, yeah. So that was that was critical number one. The very first release. Very first release. And that came about because basically kind of been thinking about, well, not kind of been thinking about, I had been thinking about how to be involved in drum and bass and 
I was buying records and I was DJing, but you know, only DJing for locally and very small things. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything serious. Um, and I was kind of playing around with production, but I wasn't really getting anywhere because I was kind of on my own and it was quite hard to work out what to do. And then I'd run like very small like tape labels of weird experimental music in my teens. So I was really interested in running a record label proper. And I was working in an accounts department of a record label. So I had people around me who could advise me on like, how do you get a record pressed? And what do you do? And how do you do this and the other? What kind of record label? Was it electronic? Or? It was a, uh, it, it was a, no, it was a, it was, it was like a, a, a big independent label that put out like commercial music. Okay. It's nothing particularly exciting. Um, but, um, and at that time I just had started to learn about how the mechanics of running a label would work back then. Cause obviously it was all physical, no digital format back then. Um, and Ironically, though, the way that I did make connections with other artists and producers was through the internet and particularly a forum called Dogs on Acid, which a lot of people may have heard of, a lot of people may not have heard of. Dogs on Acid was a message board that was incredibly popular in the early to mid-noughties, which was a very fast-moving message board to talk about all things drum and bass and more. Uh, it was owned owned by DJ Fresh, um, that company at the time. And there was lots of named producers on there and lots of people like me who were just fans of the music, but promoters and all sorts of different things. And people just become, make contacts on there. And AOL Instant Messenger was the way that everyone talked to each other. And we send files backwards and forwards. Well, that's how I... I ended up speaking to John with DeFi, um, but he was also in London, same as me. And then I would regularly go to Metalheads at Limelight with him and James Breakage. And um, yeah, and we just just became friends and he was like, I've made some music. I was like, oh, I want to put out some music by my friend is the first thing we put out. And, and that was that. Um, we didn't really have any DJ support. No one knew who I was, no one knew who he was. Um, and we still managed to sell like 700 copies of the vinyl, so... Wow. <laughs> That's a, crazy. Very, a very different time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A very different time. Um, so yeah, that's that's how okay. that came about. It was quite experimental music. At the time, John was very into like artists like Clute and labels like um, Certificate 18, which... Um, I don't think Certificate 18 exists anymore. It put out quite sort of technical, like, not dark, but quite experimental. Basically like early TV and stuff like that, wasn't it, and things. So, really great label. Um, and that was kind of his inspiration. Okay. But John then went on to become scientific on Osborne Records, so... Yeah, and where is, like, it, where is like, he now? He quits. Um, well, yeah, he's, he's, he's off doing some, something else. He moved to Cambodia. Oh. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> he's still making music. He's still making music, but he's just, he fancied a change. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's so, quite the change. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's, nice. that's that one. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll continue then for this yeah. one. Uh, you picked a, a Chuma Caliber, mm -hmm. uh, Rockefeller. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like this. 
Yeah, so who, who doesn't love a bit of Caliburn? Um, mm. How did this collaboration come to be? Well, this one came about because I was friends with a guy called Aaron Fitzgerald, who at the time was man it was the label manager for Solar and Signature. Solar being Marcus Intellects' label and Signature being Caliburn's label. And Aaron also co-ran a night called Metric in Bristol. And I was a resident there, which was the first ever kind of residency I had, and it was amazing. Um, and it was kind of like the label was sort of bubbling along. We, we hadn't done anything particularly remarkable up until that point. But Aaron spoke to Dom and said, like, you know, you've got some music. This guy's trying to do some things. Would you like to give him some music? And then I chose the, I chose the, this release for two reasons. One, it's Calibre, and it's, and it's a great record. And it doesn't really sound like anything. It was always really, really like excited about the fact that we ended up with tunes that didn't really come out, and like the style of which never really came out anywhere else. Um, it's like a tribal rolling thing, more akin to techno than sort of deep liquid. Um, so that so I chose it for for that reason, and also that um, it was incredibly helpful release for us because it really puts on the map and people start to take notice of us because Dom has had a long illustrious career still continues to put out amazing music to this day but he at that time was really causing some waves you know he was a yeah we didn't know what was I think we could all agree that at the time between him and Marcus and Lee as two files there was just some stuff coming that was just like I don't know just another level of good right um so to be able to be in the orbit of that was amazing. So yeah. yeah. Cool. What's he like working with? He's a very he's as you imagine, he's not he's not difficult. He's just a keeps himself to himself and you hear from him when you hear from him and you know. That's it. It's kind of a, <laughs> he's always he's always been very nice and polite to me. I wouldn't say we're the best of friends, but it's not because we're not we're not we're not we don't get on, it's just because you know, we just have nice conversations. He's he's very kind and gives us music, and, and then we'll release it. And sometimes we'll play a show, and it's always nice to catch up with him. That's it's a quiet yeah. guy. Oh yeah, you know he keeps himself to himself. Yeah, and a few times I've met him. He's uh, yeah, very to himself indeed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. And then we move on to the third track. Um, that's breakage. Stack it up. Yeah, like, oh yeah, like, yeah. What was it's like pure aim and tear out madness, but he never, Baker's never disappoints. But can you recall what you thought when you first heard this tune as a demo? Yeah, I mean that would have been like it's two thousand four, two thousand four. Yeah, given a CD, like I say, it was like we'd see James out and about quite regularly, pretty much every week in London, going to like Metalheads or Swerve. And yeah, just be like, hey man, you got any music? And I'd be like, oh, here you go, there's some bits. And I remember just putting it on and being like, whoa. And it's so raw, the tune is so like rough. Yeah. I wonder if he actually finished it. I don't know, I never asked him that. It kind of doesn't sound finished in a way. But that's what makes it so amazing, I think. Yeah. It's so It still goes off. 
if you play it now it still goes off yeah because it's just yeah I mean he's he's an incredible producer uh, and yeah the vocal's so iconic and mm-hmm. but yeah it's just one of those things it's just like I love this it's amazing you'd play it and people are like what the hell's this <laughs> you know you'd be like yeah gotta put this out yeah how many releases that, that has he had on critical music James well, he did he did a couple of singles then he there was um the alias project which was him and dj flight they did a couple of singles as well i think it's probably like four or five in total something like that yeah he's mainly focusing on his own label right now right on index yeah yeah we tried to get some tried to get a tune from him for the 20 years compilation but he's i could be wrong but i don't think he writes that much music and when he does write music he's happy with i think he wants to keep it for his own label which is completely understandable exactly yeah um yeah uh, so, moving on to the next one, uh, which is a tune by Bungle, Got Too yeah. Late, 2006. Yeah, I've told this story before as well, so if anyone's had it before, I'm sorry. But Bungle was and is a Brazilian producer. It kind of came through at the same time as like Marky and XRS was around that world. And he sent me this tune and I really liked it. I really liked playing it. But when he sent it to me, it was called Bullshit. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, yeah, I've sent it around and no one's really reacted to it. And it was like, yeah, it's really good. Like, Did you ever thought about changing the name? And he was like, oh, why? I was like, because the name's really bad. <laughs> um, and he did. And then I was like, well, let's let's put it out. Let's do a single, and we sent it around, and everyone started playing it. And DC put it on the Nightlife CD, and there you go. Just really good piece of dance for music. Yeah, but definitely. I suppose it's testament to the fact to all the producers out there that you know, don't give your tune a no- d- derogatory name. Don't call your music bullshit because everyone else is just think it's bullshit. Yeah, um, the title is important. Yeah, as, as you say, it's from Brazil. Would you say it has a different sound compared to UK producers? I think at the time he, he he did. I haven't really heard enough of his recent music, but then the last, you know, he, he had the Cocooned tune, which I'm still playing now. It was amazing. Yeah, still goes off, yeah. With quite a different take on the sound. It's also a few years old already, right? It's like 2017 yeah. or something? Yeah, I think so. It's a few years old, easy. Still goes off though. Um, but 2017, yeah. yeah. He did some, yeah, he did some stuff on Solar as well, around the same time. Yeah, so his music always had a, a, a quite a fresh feel. Yeah, still does. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, we move on to the next one, uh, the next two tracks, which are on the same uh, twelve inch uh, Spectrosaur. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2009, organizer on the flip side, Alibi, and in a break remix. So let's first yeah. play organizer. Um, what are your memories of this track? I remember it very well. I remember the first time I ever heard it, um, I played a show at Flex in Vienna. 
with Dave from Spectrosol. And Dave was working for Shogun at the time. And I'd known Dave for a little while because he used to run the, he used to work at the agency I was on. And him and Jack had started making music together. But Dave was working at Shogun, so they would kind of, they would get all the music for us. And I remember Dave playing this tune and we'd be like, whoa, this is amazing. It sounds like Johnny Ellis. It's incredible. To the young listeners, well, not even that young, because Johnny L's not been around for quite a while, but Johnny L, check him out. Incredible producer, released two records on XL. Um, it, the tune kind of blew my mind, and Dave was like, yeah, Friction doesn't, Ed, or Friction, as he's known, doesn't like it. And I was like, really? Well, I'd love to put it out. And he was like, oh, okay. That's how that came about. Just one of those, like, in the club, heard it. Okay, great, let's do it. And then the flip side. Yeah, let's first listen to the flip side. Okay, back to you, Kasra. <laughs> and the, the flip side was just, you know, the original alibi was this really simple but very effective deep tune piano riff vocal Reese bass and then as he was then as he and as he still is now break is the master of remixes it's like yeah that'd be a cool idea and then he just knocked it out of the park and kind of just freshened it up a bit and it was yeah still sounds amazing today um but no real kind of mystery about that one it's just it's a, a really i mean you like to think that you put two tunes together on a single that are special, but then you have things like that, and it's like, yeah, this is really, up, you know, up there. Yeah, was it up there, of... up there in sales as well? Mm. Yeah. I think we've, I think we still repress it to this day. Serious. Alibi, yeah. yeah. I think you could. I mean, we we definitely have repressed it quite a lot. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and now they're separated. Do you have plans to work with either of them? Uh, I don't know what uh, Dave is doing, but Jack is uh, uh, busy as workforce. Yeah, we did a workforce EP at the end of 2020. Okay. Um, and we, yeah, we're always talking. Me and Jack are, uh, are good friends, so we talk quite a lot. So. I'd like to think we'll do something again soon. He's been concentrating on his own label and other projects he's got. Um, but yeah, never say never. That would be it. Would be cool to do it again. Jack's Jack is always welcome at the label. Always. Yes. Uh, let's move on to a Dutch guy. Yeah. Um, Icicle, of course. Uh, yeah. The tune got lost hours. Released in two thousand nine. Yeah, he's been away for a while, um, mm-hmm. focusing on other stuff, and now he's recently released on uh, Vision with a new album. What, would you, what could you say about this uh, this tune? How did this come to be? Well, I just he, if I get if my memory serves me correct, he came through from med school, which was the hospital offshoot label, and he did a he did a track on there, which was. I think what was what was really standout about his music was that it was 
I mean, you listen to Lost Hours now, it's still a great piece of music, but in terms of the drum and bass sound now, it, it sounds old. But at the time, it was very minimal, very effective, a lot of techno influence, and just really resonated with me. Because, and it had a lot of that, you know, the nods to Johnny L, a Russian optical, but some people would use those things and kind of disappear up their own ass, as yeah. we say in the UK. And it would become like a technical operation, whereas he was a really, really amazing at balancing. It was, it was funk. It was like groove and funk and the things that make drum bass. For me, it was he had a really, really good sense of the mood that would yeah. be quite like, like a bit dystopian, a bit dark. But then it also had that kind of really like a high energy to it as well. And it was just a great. It was again that was a really great single, and it was, you know, really great tune. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You go ahead, Rick. Next one. Yeah, yeah. Next one. Let's move up north to Manchester. Top physics and Fox never been from 2012. Wow, that's ten years old. Yeah, this thing, this um, thing is awesome. Time flies. Yeah, it does. I mean, with that one, it was like using that term again. There was such an energy around all those Manchester crew because you had like they were just so, and they still are now. It's not like that's changed, but people like George Tub Physics, Fox, Impo, Gittles, the whole the strategy, all those, all those guys, P Man. Um, spark just amazing MCs really high energy guys um, and we've done some stuff with George previously but then he came up with this, this tune with Fox it was like it was just a really special tune because it was we didn't we hadn't really released anything like that and then I was just really was kind of excited by the way that they would just run with projects They'd be like, yes, yeah, so the tune's finished. We've made a video. It looks like this, and we've got this concept. It looks like this, and they would just like, they wouldn't just be like, oh, here's some tunes, put them out. It was like, oh yeah, we're going to come with this whole plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to have this idea. We're going to do a live version here with it. They would actually, you know, some people would see it as like, oh, you're being careerist or like you're trying to sell out or something. Which I don't believe you. I think that's bullshit. For me, what was exciting was like you you made this thing, you want as many people to hear it as possible. You do you worked really hard to do this thing. Let's make a really good job of it, you know, like, like let's do as much as we can with hardly any budget. I mean the you know, if you watch the Never Been video, it's got it looks like it cost about fifty quid, which I think it did. But the whole I just love working with those guys and the energy of them at that at that time with this thing was just great. But, but timing uh, was really good because it was a year after Marca, so it was absolute peak time for Dub Physics. Was it? Yeah, it was peak yeah. popularity for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that was. I'm just looking at the video now. Sorry, bear with me. I'm just going to see how many. Almost had a million views. A million views. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, Yeah, I mean, you could argue. Uh, I think, I think, you know, if you, if I don't want to speak for George because he might say different, but I think that 
he he was quite you know no pun intended he had a strategy with what he was doing he was like yeah. i'm gonna I'm not, I'm not just gonna make music and just put it out there i'm gonna be like i'm gonna do this that and the other i find it quite ironic actually that someone who 10 years ago was doing stuff like this is now quiet during the internet time because i feel like he could have actually really done more than most yeah. with mm-hmm. the, the social media platforms but that's not for me to you know i'm not judging I think he could have it could have been could have been interesting. I mean, he's he's got his own label now, right? Sanka Sonic. Yeah, so he's still doing his thing. Sorry, my wife's just delivered me a cup of tea. Oh, I was sweet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's got his label. I mean, look, he's he's doing his thing, and he's he's still immensely talented and doing great things. It's just I, I, I look back at that time and think, ten years ago, what you were doing was really creative. You know, so much of drum and bass was all as as for years been about sort of like heads down seriousness you know and there'd been other people before who'd kind of bought bought along a sense of fun or whatever but i think that marrying essentially cool underground music with that more light-hearted nature was actually quite hard that's quite a hard thing to do well yeah and he did it and he did it really well and the whole manchester crew did it really well yeah. so that's kind of what i mean yeah um let's hop on to the next one that's a tune by rockwell called Aria. Yeah. Uh, it's from 2011, so a bit back in time, but it's okay. Um, yeah, let's quickly listen to it. All right. Um, the vocal sounds quite familiar. Where did it get from? Do you know that? It's from uh, Song for the Siren by, I'm going to say the Cocteau Twins, but it's not. Yeah, so it was easy to get permission to use this. No? Don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to... Yeah, I mean, in terms of what Tom was doing around that time, he's kind of out on his own. It was really something else. Yeah, it's a different kind of vibe. Yeah, I mean, his whole catalogue around that time was really just pretty mind-blowing. That tune for me is just a really incredible piece of music, I think. Um, I mean, the sample's hot as fuck, but yeah, it's what it is. Um, but um, yeah, just just really, I think I chose it a because it's such a special piece of music, but and also for me, it's like it's not about you know what was the biggest club tune, what kind of resonates the most, and I think as a piece of music, it kind of sums up a lot of what I like about running a label, you know, like just releasing things that are special out into yeah. the world. Okay. Um... Then we move to the a Russian affair. Inai East Colors and Noel, Cracker from 2011. So the reason I chose this one was because I suppose it's again a couple of reasons. The track itself was one of those things that was kind of floating around for a little bit. I remember hearing Andy C play it at Fabric and wondering what it was, hearing a few other DJs play it. And then 
finding out who it was and then getting in touch with Alexi, you know. And he'd be like, yeah, it's not, it's not signed. He'd be like, really? And he was like, yeah. And then he sent me a load of other stuff and I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Um, so it was, it was kind of that initial, there was something to be said for that joy of like, when you hear something amazing and it'd be like, no, it's not signed. It'd be like, well, can I, can I sign it? That was really exciting. Um, but then it's also really significant because it was like a launch pad for going on to what we did. You know, we'd had, we'd dealt with Alex before on like on a very low level with the compilation stuff. And then for this, it was like, okay, let's, let's not, I don't believe in signing artists exclusively, but it was about like taking someone in and building up to an album and releasing loads of music. and trying to build a family and that was where this 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 tune kind of really was a springboard for that nice so that's why it's important it's a banger honestly still is it's still a banger still yeah. a banger I've got the parts for it actually I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and remix it I haven't told him yet but it's, maybe he'll hear this and find out so yeah um, we're going back to the UK uh, we've got three tunes more or less by Ivy Lab uh, first one lined up is uh, Oblique by uh, Saber Stray and Halogenics before they teamed mm-hmm. up as Ifilab. So yeah, they, this is uh, a release before Ifilab. Um, what was your role as? Critical music in the formation of this uh, this super trio, so to say. <laughs> well, um, so I'd known Go for Saber for a while because he had um, released his he released a bunch of music with us, including his his one and only solo album with us a few years previously. We'd been talking, we'd been working with Jay Stray on some projects, and. Um, I was aware of Lawrence Halogenics and we were talking about music and, and so I, I kind of knew about them as a group. I wasn't aware that they were working together until um, until I was sent this tune. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to remember how it came about, but I feel like I'd heard on the grapevine that they've written some music together and I was, I was told as well that it was going to be signed to Metalheads, music that they've written. So anyway, Go sent me this uh, this tune and I was like this is absolutely amazing um, I kind of left it at that and I remember speaking to him a few weeks later and I was like you know that tune that's uh, you signed to Metalheads when's it coming out and he was like what tune was signed to Metalheads I was like that oblique tune he was like no never signed it to Metalheads I was like what let me have that and then the rest is history I would not take the credit for suggesting they work together I was just very uh, you know more than they had done. Um, I was just very glad when I heard that they were making more music together. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, I think I like to think of it as a bit of a modern classic. So, I mean, it, even if it's even if it is 10 years old, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a really special tune. After they came together, they, uh, they produced 20 questions in 2015. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like this. Uh, yeah, there's quite a recognizable vocal in there. Did you have problems clearing that sample? 
Presuming. <laughs> if it's not a sample, who did the vocals? Uh, we got it resung by. Uh, I re I resung it. <laughs> it's, it. I think. I mean that period of Ivy Lab stuff is really special. I think we all kind of agree how good it was. It was just really. It's funny because as a, as a kind of sound, it's not breathtakingly original. I think we'd all admit that. But it's just so good. It it's is, just yeah. like oozes with, oozes with parts and it's dance floor and it's like you can sit at home and enjoy it as much and it's just everything that's wonderful about drum and bass. Would you say it's their biggest release on the, or the biggest hit on the critical? That and Oblique are pretty close, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, I still play 20 questions now every set. So. Yeah, same. It's on the on the USBs for sure. Um, yeah, they also produced the tune called Sunday Crunk, and uh, okay. Matthews did a remix of this also in 2015. Yeah. Um, sounds like this. Banger. Uh, yeah. Where do you think this sound has gone to? You know, the, the glitch hoppy halftime stuff. It's a bit more on the background nowadays. Yeah, it's funny, it's, it's, it's a shame because, like, it was. Um, it's not like a real thing for a few years, which yeah. obviously the boys, the Lively Lab boys, really championed over here. Um, and obviously, it's, it's, it's not just them who were doing it. You know, people like Alex Perez is obviously big, was a big part of that. And, the whole sound he does both solo and, and with Eprom as Shades and there was many other people doing it so I wouldn't suggest I don't think even Ivy Lab would suggest it was just them who founded it um, but there was definitely a period where you know I would be feel really comfortable about you know playing a drum bass rave and dropping like 20 minutes of half time in the middle of it um, that time has definitely gone I've started yeah. playing a bit more again because it's, it's still really good uh -huh. um, dubstep seems to be kind of no I feel like more that. and more it's quite in, it's quite exciting to play a bit broader. Yeah, sometimes that and you know. four to the floor. It's also making yeah, uh, yeah. It's like I don't know. I think there's a time and a place for. I think it's, it's one of those things, right? It's quite nice to have in your record box that sound and be like, right, you know, like when I come when I come to play the show in Amsterdam, halfway through the set drop a half-time tune, I went down well, I'll play a few more. If it doesn't go down, I went down well, let's go back to where we were. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But, um, you know, it's quite nice to, to mix it up. But yeah, that sound is still there. There's still people doing it. There's still stuff going on for sure. But um, it does definitely feel like quite a time capsule now. Um, and then particularly kind of Martin's take on it as well, which was like, I'll tell you the story about that one quickly. We we really wanted to do. Uh, I, I think Martin suggested doing the remix of it. I think it was his. I'm pretty sure it was his idea because he's a massive hip hop head. Mm -hmm. And then when Martin released his emulation album, we did a launch party at Fabric in Room Three, um, which for anyone who hasn't been there, like a small room held about 300 people. And the night of his launch party, before doors opened from like 8, uh, 8 p.m. till 10 p.m., we did a listening party where Martin played the album, played the emulation album, and talked to the crowd about the album. And it was, it was a really special evening. 
anyway at the end he was like i've got this thing i want to play and it was a sunday crunk remix but it was like a one two minute demo version and i remember him playing it and everyone just being like what the what's just happened like jesus what is that and i mean me even i was like what is that even though i, I kind of knew what it was it just, <laughs> just chopped heads everywhere you know and kind of the rest is history really one of the biggest selling tunes biggest selling tunes we've ever put out by quite a long way it's had quite the impact yeah the and it was just yeah and it was you know really special obviously so much of martin's music had a huge influence on drum and bass but yeah. that was really really uh, uh kind of a yeah, special take sticking to Matthews uh The next tune is uh, Suicide Baseline by him. Suicide Baseline! Uh, yes, it's a somewhat harder track. Uh, how, would yeah. you, how would you say the sound of the label has evolved over the years? Well, I think the, the label evolves with kind of like my taste. I don't don't see us like releasing one sound or one thing in the same way that I don't like one sound or one thing or DJ one sound or one thing. I just like to think that everything we release is good. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and like the label, I think the, the labels evolved as the music has evolved. You know, there's like certain things I think where we've heard music and be like, whoa, that's really, that's really special. We should kind of go with that like the halftime thing you know or other things like you know the, the kind of harder sound we had a collection of producers who were all kind of orbiting that world so it was like at one point we had people like emperor mephius and arguably eni were making quite hard music and then but at the same time as when we were doing that in you know sort of five six seven years ago we had people like sam bigger we had ivy lab we had um hieroglyphics so we were quite it was pretty balanced you know we had someone releasing tunes called suicide baseline and then we had sam bigger releasing dancehall influence records so yeah. it's pretty across the board you know yeah but just I, the evolution of the sound i suppose is kind of evolu evolves with the producers as they evolve it's a, it's about the people we work with and what they want to do sometimes just as much as what the label's about so say for example if you know if Eni was like suddenly mad into Gabba and was like I made a Gabba record I probably wouldn't want to put it out <laughs> but I, I imagine I wouldn't want to put it out but as the artists kind of you know they like oh I like this and I'm like you know I'm gonna make you know I actually you know I really want to make a deeper record or this kind of thing it's like okay well we'll go with that yeah so It's 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 more of, for me. It's more about the artists we work with, and, and then what they want to do, and then kind of helping them realize what they want to do. And that's how the sound evolves. I think is a way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Suicide baseline. It's uh, still goes off. Was the VIP released on 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 critical as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. I don't know how he does it, but it's just a, also an insane tune. Yeah, um, yeah. I think two years later he's released uh, a tune with Matthews, uh, with the Emperor, sorry. Got mm -hmm. Flashism. Quick as a flash. 
Mass Fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think is, uh, is the thing that makes Mafia so so popular? What, what's his golden touch? I just think he has. I mean, he's really like he's technically obviously incredibly proficient, but he also just comes with. I think he has quite a, a very sort of indi- original and individual production style. Okay, that is very very hard to emulate, and a lot of people did try to emulate. Particularly when he first came through, but he's just you know he's a scientist, but he still understands music, so it's like a really special marriage of the two, you know. Yeah, a musical scientist. <laughs> yeah, which is which is you know sometimes you, you don't get one or the other. You, you know, I think you know some producers are uh, just get too bogged down. I mean, it's a cliche now, but they get too bogged down in the technicals and mm-hmm. they lose the, the the music side. So um, he's a he's a very special balance between the two, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks. And let's move back to Manchester with Sam Binga and Romain. Greatest Distance from 2015, part of the Wasted Days album. Yeah. It goes something like this. Perfection is my aim. Uh, yeah, um, we mentioned Manchester earlier. Um, is, is Sam a typical Manchester artist, or is he he's, more than that? He's not a Manchester artist. He's from Bristol. No. Is he from he, Bristol? Yeah, he's actually from the. He's from. I might get this wrong, but I believe he's originally from Hull, which is in the very north of the UK. But he's he's lived in Bristol for many years. Oh, um, yeah. Why do why do I think he's from Manchester then? I don't know. Well, maybe. I mean, he's very, very friendly with all the Manchester crew. Though. Oh, maybe that's. He's friendly with everyone. He's a, he's a, he's a good guy. Um, I think what I was really like with this tune, I'd kind of forgotten about it actually, and then recently, I was just like, this is amazing. It's just, it's a really special tune, and it's a really special album. Um, so for me, the reason I chose this was because. It kind of stood out from a lot of what was going on at the time. It was a lot of the scene was about harder edge neuro style that we we're talking about. Um, and Sam just went off and was just was incredibly creative and worked with some amazing people. Remain being one of them. I think his vocal performance in this tune is, is really really something else. Um, and Sam, I don't think had as much faith in himself as he should, and he ended up. The record did phenomenally well, and was really proud of him, and was very proud to release it. So that's why I chose it. Okay, uh, back to Marta. Yeah. Um, so this next one, I think personally, has quite has had quite the impact on the on drum and bass when it came out. And it's Pledge by Halogenics. Yeah, uh, what, can you, what can you tell us about this one? It's uh, quite the banger. Yeah, I mean, Lawrence is an incredible talent and he's just, he's, he marries, I think, some special kind of qualities that are very, it's very hard to do, which is he can make amazing deep music and he can make amazing dance music. 
Um, and this one was, it's always like, particularly in the modern day, it's always really nice to build tunes up in the clubs. It was like, I don't know, it just feels cool. Maybe because I'm old, but I don't know. It's like much better to do it that way rather than through, uh, through drop videos on Instagram, you know? Um, and that tune was really like, I think, I, I think I'm right in saying that Lawrence didn't really have much faith in it as a tune, which seems crazy when you listen to it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it just caught fire and it was just one of those things that everyone wanted to play. And it's just, just, it's cool as fuck. And it's just, it is, amazing. yeah. What would you say is the difference between Halogenics pre Ivalab or during Ivalab and Halogenics post Ivalab? Um, I think that he's, he's just developed as a producer because he works really hard at, at his craft. And, you know, I'm sure he learned a lot of things whilst he was in Ivy Lab and he's learned a hell of a lot of things since because he's always pushing himself to make better music, you know? So, so yeah. Um, and then we go to the 18th track you chose, and that's your own track called Ski Mask from 2018. Uh, let's listen to it. Earlier in the podcast, you mentioned that it's from the three things you do, like running a label, being a DJ, and on the third place is being a producer. Mm-hmm. Is that something that goes with managing a label, or you feel it's necessary to do? Well, the reason I chose it was was because I wanted to. Exp- it's, it's quite an interesting one to explain, I suppose, is that I really I've struggled for years with music, writing music. I'm comfortable as a DJ, very comfortable, obviously. with the label because it is what it is but in terms of music I always feel like an imposter because it's really like a real grind to make music um, but this was something where I really made a point of like stop doing collaborations stop doing like one tune here with our compilations be like right let's let's write a solo EP and that's what I did and I was I'm really proud of it and I'm really proud of the way it sounds I'm really proud of the way it looks I'm really proud of the reception so yeah that's why I chose it I thought like I'm not really one to kind of big myself up I don't really do that very much um, so I just thought it'd be nice to highlight that cool. there's some music I've made that I'm pretty proud of so yeah yeah what uh, DAW do you use? I use Ableton Um, before we go to the end of the podcast so we've uh, discussed 18 tracks and um, we chose uh, Martin and me we chose both one favorite track so Martin do you want to start why what's your favorite critical track Uh, well one of my favorites is incredibly hard to pick one because there's a such a big pool to choose from Uh, but I went for foreign concept uh, with a tune called when you're alone I think it's ages old now, uh, and to me this is a textbook definition of a of a roller. Um, the drums got a nice, lovely bounce to it, and the vocals are very catchy. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just really love the the dreamy atmospheric pads that the tune has. 
I just I, I still play it today. So yeah, it goes to show how good of a tune it is to be. Yeah, it kind of feels a bit like um, it kind of feels a bit like a uh, a Marcus Intellect tune. To me. Yeah, it's got that. It's got that vibe, really nice, yeah. yeah, that kind of like deep house, slightly techy kind of feel to it. Uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great tune. I love it as well. So, I mean, it's a good choice. Uh, LSB did a and remix that, of it as well, right? Yeah, yeah, he it's did. Also, yeah. That also goes off. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just a great tune. It's kind of, a, I, I really like that you made that choice because it's quite an undiscovered gem, if you like. Is it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, just good music. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What did you pick, Rick? Um, I picked, uh, that's a personal story, but I picked Young X Listen Up, uh, it goes like this. Um, yeah, if you have to go back to 2005, and I was living in Rotterdam and only promoting drum and bass in Rotterdam, and I, I bought a lot of vinyl. I think this is the first critical release I bought at the time. And it's for me, it's really, I was into the more the funky, the deep and melodic kind of drum and bass. And I think it's a dark days. What's 2005, the dark days of drum and bass with the really rough things. And I, I thought it's like, um, I don't know if anybody still knows Young X, but um, I still love this tune and um, I'm not really a DJ but I've DJed on, on several parties and I always played this tune and it yeah, it's like makes me smile every time. What do you remember of young ex Wheezy? He was a German kid and I don't really remember that much about him to be honest other than he made really good music. I mean his music is unlike any other drum bass producer's music I think. Anyone who hasn't heard him should definitely check it check it out. Incredibly musical and technical at the same time. Even though probably now it doesn't sound as fresh. I haven't listened to the the, the single for a while. It's, but he's, he's only had four releases. Yeah. yeah, but it's 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 not it's not by far not the best release on Critical. But it's uh, yeah, I have it. Oh, I still have it. Yeah, it's an I interesting have, one though. Uh, yeah, because it's like you know, yeah. it's a name that no one will remember. Um, you know, unless you were there at the time. In it, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, um, but it's 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 definitely a really cool record, really yeah. cool record. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, you know, we we kind of always, I think, you know, the, the philosophy back then. I mean, that record's probably what two thousand and seven or something, maybe two thousand five. Two thousand five. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, the philosophy then was well. I don't know who this guy is, but this is good. So let's put it out. And it's the same now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And big up Triple Vision in Rotterdam for uh, uh, giving me this record. Or not, I had to buy it, but they said, uh, listen to this, you will like it. There you go. So that, that how it, that's how you got to new music. Go to the record shop, listen to the guy behind the counter and buy records. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. Um, so that, cool. that brings us close to the end of the podcast. Uh, thank you for the stories of the tunes that you've selected for us. Um, we have one last segment that we ask all of our guests. Um, so, yeah, picture this. 
you get the chance to produce the very last album on earth. Uh, for this, you can invite anyone to work with. Uh, this could be your own mm-hmm. peers, your pupils, your idols, musicians, producers, singers, etc. Uh, both dead or alive. Uh, who would you invite and why? And also, what would you name this project? Um, so I tried to think about this from when you first mentioned it at the top, at the top of the podcast, and it's really hard because I was I started to think of it like a bit too liter- literally because there's people I'd you know anyone. Make a record with Kurt Cobain. Sure. It sound like like trash because I can't play the guitar or the drums or anything. But you get to compose it. Then let them do the music part. (laughs) (laughs) I actually thought of it like if I could, I think maybe a record, and this is going to sound like I'm I'm, I'm going for a joke here, but I'm a massive fan of Ski Mask, the producer. Yeah, from Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Big fan as well. Um, is that I, the reason you you named your track Ski Mask? No, the reason I named <laughs> the, the the track Ski Mask is because there's a guitarist in a band I really like, and his Instagram handle, handle was Ski Mask, and I was just like, oh, that's a cool okay. name. So I was just like, yeah. I'll just go with that. Um, no, you, you'd work with well, Ski Mask. Ski Mask. Yeah, I'm really into Ski Mask. Um, I don't even own one, but um, yeah. So maybe maybe him, and then as, as for a name. Um, we could call ourselves God. That's difficult, isn't it? There we go. That's what we <laughs> and no, and no vocalist. Mm. Well, it's too hard to think of on the spot. You know, really hard to think of on the spot. Maybe um, Beth Gibbons from Portishead. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, thanks. Can you repeat the band name or the project name again? God, that's difficult, what? isn't it? God, that's difficult, isn't it? <laughs> so, Ski Mask, if you're listening, we've got a chance for a cool project. <laughs> um, so, Kasra, thanks for the podcast. It was very interesting to uh, hear your favorite tunes. And we've got something interesting lined up on the 23rd of December in, at Melkweg. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you p- explain a bit about the lineup because you've selected all the artists? Yeah, sure. So, it's... Uh on the 23rd, as, as you mentioned, at Melkweg, we're doing our final show of the 20th birthday year of Critical. And uh, the lineup is myself, Eni, Leveller, and Waze. Um, that's everyone, right? I haven't missed anyone out. That's a local... Uh, and a, I'm sorry, I haven't got the flyer in front of me. That's totally uh, local called <laughs> Man. Man, yeah. yeah. Man as well. uh, it's, it's a she, but she's called Man. Yeah. Very cool. I like yeah. it. She has a very um, nice style, yeah. Cool. And hosted by Swift. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's it's going to be really cool to be back in Amsterdam. We've had like three sold out ADE shows. So, we're really lucky to be back at the venue. And yes, yeah, going to be, I suppose, a Christmas party. Um, and yeah. we've done, I think this will be. I think it, it's either the 19th or 20th show of the year as well of the birthday celebration, which is quite... Symbolic, up. yeah. Yeah, quite nicely. Um, so yeah, we just hope to see you guys down there. Um, I feel like it's going to be pretty special, getting the festive spirit. Yeah. And here's some, here's some good music. Eno's coming off the back of his latest album, which is, which is smashing it. Uh, I've got a new single out next week. Leveler's working on a bunch of stuff for the label. Waze has got a mini album coming out early next year. 
So yeah, a man is a woman. So there we go. <laughs> so uh, thanks for this. Um, we'll be having a, a, a list, a playlist on Spotify with all the uh, 20 tracks we just uh, mentioned and discussed. And um, thanks. We'll see everybody on the 23rd of December. Uh, Martin, do you have something to add? No, uh, yeah, very much. Uh, thank you again, uh, Kasra. And uh, we'll see you uh, in Amsterdam. That's for guys. That's for thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcasts.